Pranams and loving greetings to all of you. It is such a joy to be here with you in person. It's been a long time, hasn't it? Finally. And loving greetings to all of you who are joining us online from all parts of the world. Each one of us come here to experience and share in a week of spiritual renewal and to share in the joy and the fellowship that binds us as disciples of our Guru and as children of God. I like to view convocation as a portal, a portal into the universal consciousness of God, into the kingdom of heaven. And I think as each one of us goes through that portal with hearts full of anticipation, with love and devotion in our hearts, we're going to experience a melting away of our human limitations and a merging with the love and the peace and the joy that comes from communion with that divine beloved of our souls. And that's what we're all looking forward to, isn't it? This week will be one of instruction and inspiration. And our revered president, Brother Chirananaji, has already shared with us that spirit that we have to carry with us into this week. And so I thought that we could cover today that relationship that we can cultivate with God and Guru and the relationship that they want to share with us because it goes both ways. And I thought that we could also talk about those mental attitudes and soul qualities that we want to cultivate that will solidify that relationship with them. And lastly, to talk about those foundational principles that will anchor us in the spiritual life, especially when the world's challenges threaten to throw us off balance. So if that sounds like a good plan to you, <laughs> let's begin. I think that we all know that every savior of mankind, including our and Param gurus, has come to declare that within our body temple is that luminous, magnificent soul. And our potential is vastly greater than we could ever imagine. Because hidden beneath the wave of our consciousness, underneath the wave of this little 12-inch ruler of the mind, lies a subterranean ocean of pure love, of fathomless wisdom, and infinite possibilities. And the masters have come to show us how to dive deep, how to immerse ourselves in that oceanic presence that we may discover our true essence, pure, changeless, eternal. Whatever word you want to use, you can never describe it. But they want us to immerse ourselves in that consciousness and then bring it to the fore in daily life. 
And that is the essence, really, of the spiritual path, to realize, day by day, our true nature. However, because we live in this chaotic world of duality, delusion very enthusiastically casts a veil over our consciousness. And so God, the great reality, becomes hidden from us. And that veil creates a sense of separation, doesn't it? And that sense of separation causes us, causes our faith to waver. And it weakens our inner resolve to seek and to know God because we fear, we experience fear or insecurities or doubts. Devotees sometimes say to us, am I good enough? Or I feel so unworthy, I have so many frailties to overcome. Or devotees establish such high expectations for themselves that they can't possibly measure up. So how do we counter that? And what causes that to happen? These insecurities, these fears sometimes arise because of past conditioning. But the core reason is that our connection with God is too fragile. So how do we counter that? And I want to talk now about the right perspective, the right approach, reinforced by implicit faith in order to overcome any hesitation whatsoever. You know, our revered Sri Dayamataji told us that when she was a young nun in the ashram, she used to judge herself very harshly and she suffered a lot because she felt that she wasn't quite living up to our guru's expectations. And so when she went to talk to him about it, this is what he said to her. Correct yourself and forget the past. Don't give any more thought to it. It seems simple, doesn't it? But there was those two words, correct yourself. And you know, the disciples around Guruji rarely went to him for personal counseling because they knew what he was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your mind more on God. I want to see you with your mind always fixed on God. So if we ask ourselves, when adversity hits, when we're challenged, where's the mind? <laughs> Is it on God? <laughs> yeah, we have to train ourselves to do that. Now, of course the Guru is aware of our struggles. He is aware of every tremor of our thought and consciousness. But he views our struggles as part of life, and they have a purpose to teach us something about ourselves. At the same time, the Guru encourages us not to dwell excessively on our challenges. Why? He wants us to maintain a positive attitude, but he doesn't want us to become overwhelmed by them so that they drag us down. Each one of us in this school of life has already experienced that life will present to us many opportunities to learn, to change, and to grow. You know, when we were in school, we were expected to 
learn our lessons and pass our exams before we could advance to the next level, isn't it? And so it is with life. So when challenges arise, what do we do? We want to step back and objectively ask this question, what is the message? You know, the universe is sending me a message that I've actually attracted to myself. It's not random. So what is the karmic lesson that I have to learn here? And then, with the mind fixed on God, pray to Him and ask Him for insight into what it is in your nature that you have to tweak a little bit. And then, once you've identified that, and you don't have to know the whole issue, but even if you try a little to address it constructively to the best of your ability, then you will have done your part to cancel out that debt. And then you're on your way to becoming debt-free. And often we find that our challenges are the greatest catalysts for personal growth and spiritual unfoldment. And we come out on the other side of adversity far stronger, wiser, and better equipped for the journey ahead. And this next point is very important. When we do the best that we can, when we appeal to God with implicit faith, with the mind fully fixed on God, He will match that effort and he will impart to you a security and a stability and a protection that nothing in this world can ever give us. And he will give us an inner strength that no trial can defeat. And you will feel that. You will feel all of that when you've done your part. Gurudev said, a smooth life is not a victorious life. So we shouldn't expect that once we embark on the spiritual path, everything will be a bed of roses. We have some work to do. Now someone asked me, well, how does God view us when we stumble? Flailing around helplessly at times. And I love answering this question because God's approach is so beautiful. It's like a breath of fresh air, so different from ordinary human thinking. He accepts us just as we are, and he sees way past our shortcomings to that beautiful, luminous soul within us, constantly reminding us, sending us reminders, you are my masterpiece. This is what he wants us to know. Gurudev said, Know that you are immortal. Not to be crushed by mortal lessons, but to learn and manifest your immortality and smile. Say, I am immortal. Sent to a mortal school to learn and regain my immortality. Though challenged by all the purifying fires of the earth, I am the soul. 
and cannot be destroyed. Fire cannot burn me. Water cannot wet me. Breezes cannot wither me. Atoms cannot shatter me. I am the immortal, dreaming the lessons of immortality, not to be crushed, but to be entertained. <laughs> Some drama here. <laughs> so in this dream drama that we're to be entertained, what is our part, what is our role to align with God's approach, to align with his thoughts, to, be, to enter into partnership with him. And this is the message that our great gurus and every saint and every savior has been saying to us for eons. And I want to share with you a message that was given in the Old Testament, one of my, two of my favorites, with two prophets the Lord spoke through. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So we have to attune, isn't it? Try to understand his approach, which we've been talking about. And through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, For I know the plans I have for you. He has a plan. <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's his commitment to us. That's his faithfulness to us. There's a story from the Old Testament, again, that illustrates God's magnanimous heart and how he supports us in every way possible, both spiritually and materially. King Solomon had just assumed the throne from his father, the great King David of Israel. And Solomon had his insecurities. He felt inadequate as a leader to rule over a vast multitude of people. And he was also a very devout man who repeatedly appealed to God for his help. He needed, he needed reinforcement. He needed God's guidance. And so the Lord appears to Solomon in a dream, and God says, Ask what I shall give thee. <laughs> we best know what we're going to ask if the Lord gives that kind of command, actually. Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon replied, I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. When I read that, I had to chuckle because sometimes have you ever found yourself saying, I don't know if I'm coming or going. <laughs> Eons ago, Solomon had the same problem. I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. 
Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. And Solomon's appeal, he called himself a servant of God. And he appealed to him with such childlike trust that the Lord was very pleased and he said this, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy word. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. The gift that God gave to Solomon was intuitive insight. Intuitive insight to guide him to wisely and fairly and justly handle all his affairs. And he became known as a very wise king. But there's more to this story because God always gives more. He always exceeds our expectations, and he said, I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor. So God supports us in our roles, both spiritually and materially. And this is why Gurudev so often repeated that saying of Jesus, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that's what Solomon did. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all else will be added unto thee. And this is why the saints and the avatars always turn to God first, last, and all the time, keeping themselves in his presence knowing that he will supply their deficiencies and help them fulfill their respective missions. And if we, if each one of us, strives to apply this principle of turning to God first, last, and all the time, we will see what he does with our life. And God not only supports us, both spiritually and materially, but he's very merciful to us and our journey to liberation. Last year, when some of us nuns were in India at our Dakshineswar ashram in, near Kolkata, we had planned a pilgrimage to the famous Kali temple, where the image of Bhavatarini Kali is enshrined. And let me read to you from my travel diary. We spent several hours walking in Gurudev's footsteps amongst thousands of devotees visiting the temple grounds. It was a very special time. It was Kali Puja. Guruji also refers to that as Shama Puja. It is here in this holy site, often visited by Gurudev, where he tells us that he learned the sweetness of God 
in the aspect of mother. We were escorted into the innermost shrine to receive darshan of the mother. And her presence was tangibly felt. It was overwhelmingly powerful, a very holy experience. Took your breath away. Afterwards, we meditated under the portico in front of the shrine for almost an hour, where there was a beautiful Bengali kirtan underway. And our Bengali brothers and sisters really know how to chant and invoke the presence of the mother. It was so intoxicating. It was in this same portico where Gurudev recounted that the statue of Mother Kali came to life and spoke lovingly to him, fulfilling his fervent prayer. And I'll give you a little homework assignment. Go read that beautiful episode, that recounting of Guruji's autobiography of a yogi. Gurudev translated the name Bhavatarini for us as the Redeemer of the Universe. And when I looked up the word Redeemer, I was really moved to think that God strives in countless ways to redeem us. And if we apply those various definitions of the word Redeemer to the aspect of Mother or to any aspect that is dear to our hearts, that definition for us could go like this. She who redeems us is she who protects us and rescues us from the dangers of delusion. I remember when I read that, I remember what Mahavatar Babaji said to Lardi Mahashai when they met in the Himalayas. He said, like a mother bird, I watched over you even when he entered into the womb in that incarnation. Like a mother bird, God watches over us. And she frees us from our transgressions, breaking the bonds of our karma. Breaking the bonds of our karma. She extricates us from every attachment that is detrimental to us, detrimental to our well-being. And with her transforming touch and blessing, she heals us. She heals us and restores us to our true status as her beloved immortal children. When we reflect on all that God does for us, it has to bow our head in gratitude because we realize that we live and move and have our being by grace. By grace. And that we cannot, and we were never meant to do this on our own. Gurudev says, God is not a mute, unfeeling being. He is love itself. And he can never be remote from us. We're not alone and never have been and never will be alone. Gurudev continues, take this in because these words are so insightful and precious to our soul. 
His eyes and ears are everywhere. His consciousness attuned to every particle of our thought and condition. He is with you. Remember that. He's watching you. He knows every thought you think, every feeling you feel. Every thought, every feeling, like a mother bird. In his good time, he will respond to every sincere entreaty faster than one may think when he is appealed to with implicit faith. So do not think that God does not answer your prayers. Every word you have whispered to him, he has written in his heart and someday he will answer you. How could there be any greater promise than what he told me, Guruji said. Every whisper you have uttered to me, I will answer. Every whisper you utter to me, I will answer. So, as the saints and the avatars do, let us make God the center of our life turning to him first, last, and all the time, building that intimate, personal, trusting relationship with him. Dayamataji said to me, the spiritual life is the greatest romance in this world. Once you glimpse his overwhelming love, nothing else will satisfy you. It will intoxicate your soul. All the things that Swami Chidanandaji was praying for, wasn't it? Toxicating love. And a devotee, I shared this quote with a devotee, and she said, oh, sister, you know, Ma was on so much on fire for God. Can I have that kind of desire, and can I feel that love? Because I want to be intoxicated. And of course, we know what the answer is. Yes. But meditation is the most direct way to experience the love of God. It's the bridge that connects us to God's infinite loving presence. Listening to the lectures this week about God and about meditation will be very helpful, but lectures cannot give us that personal contact. And that's why during the week we have scheduled Numerous periods of meditation. I, I try to count them. I think there were 19 short meditations and long meditations. Short meditations will keep your desire and your love for God alive. You want to keep it alive, meditate. Even short for short periods. Long meditations will give you perceptions inner perceptions of God. The time that we all spend together in meditation is the heart of convocation. It is the core message and the core practice of the Kriya Yoga teachings brought to us by our Guru. That's it. And from there everything blossoms and expands. So if we can immerse our being, our entire consciousness in meditation this week, 
in those holy vibrations that are generated with the fire of devotion in our hearts, we will know what he is. We will feel that love, that peace, that inner calmness, that inner assurance. And then after convocation, you want to build on that momentum by scheduling time for meditation each day. This is something that devotees do find a little challenging, but think of it this way. We schedule appointments with professionals. We don't break them. We try not to. We schedule time for family and friends, for vacations, for weekend getaways. Some of us have a very active social schedule. Why not schedule time morning and evening and have an appointment with God? that you try not to break to the best of your ability. As with any loving relationship, we need to spend time, we need to connect, we need to commune, we need to converse. And if we do that, we'll be doing that with the most loving being in the universe. But it requires a commitment to be proactively motivated. That's a very key element on the spiritual path. There's a popular aphorism that I use for my own personal motivation because we need to spur ourselves on periodically. And the saying is, get your head in the game. <laughs> and I say it to myself with that nuance. <laughs> it means going all in. Focusing on your goal, letting everything revolve around that goal with no distractions to the best of your ability. Get your head in the game means to use spiritual discrimination to prioritize and to keep your thoughts one-pointed and ask ourselves, is this activity or this activity or that activity conducive to my realization of who I am? that masterpiece that's hiding in there. Gurudev set the example. He said, everything my guru told me I put into practice, and as a result of his training, I've always kept my spiritual priorities straight. I never miss three things. My meditations, morning and evening, my exercises and service to others. And listen what he says next. These I religiously perform. All else of less importance I somehow manage. <laughs> he came with a special dispensation. He was establishing a worldwide organization. But without this anchoring, this spiritual prioritizing, it's all for nothing. And if we establish ourselves in these foundational practices, they will take deep root into our consciousness and they will anchor us when the storms descend. I love the saying of Jesus that corroborates this. He said, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man 
who built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. One devotee said to me, all right, sister, but how can I manage my stress? and maintain my balance so I can sustain my spiritual practices? That's a valid question, isn't it? And there's no doubt that our brain and our bodies need time to unwind, to rest, to regroup, to restore our balance so we can resume our spiritual practices. And our brains especially are usually on high alert every day, responding to the challenges of daily life, isn't it? And our sympathetic nervous system, we're getting a little bit into the science, not much, but a little bit. Our sympathetic nervous system constantly activates those responses by sending messages to our heart, to our lungs, to our arteries, so that we can act quickly or meet a challenge. And when that system is overactive for prolonged periods of time, we feel its stressful effects. And then we find ourselves completely out of balance, isn't it? So, wholesome activities and pleasures, walking in nature, watching a sunset, exercise, deep breathing, listening to our favorite music, bhajans, soothing music. All of these will help to help us unwind. They'll help us unwind and relax and relieve our stress, but only to a point. The greatest panacea for relieving stress is meditation. I remember years ago, our revered Sri Dayamataji saying this to us, something about this to us, and it really caught my attention because it never occurred to me. She said, my dears, if you are feeling overly stressed, then try to incorporate more time meditating deeply as best you can. That will help you more than anything to restore your balance. That was 40 years ago. I was just a young Brahmacharini. But Ma was confirming and stating a truth then that scientific, scientific studies are showing now that among the benefits of meditation is the deactivation of our overactive sympathetic nervous system. Because meditation shifts the mind and the energy into, a little more science, if you'll bear with me, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for producing relaxation and calmness. And we have in our hands a sacred science to do this. When we practice pranayama, when we practice the Kriya Yoga technique of pranayama, we're working with the breath, we're working with the mind, we're working with the inner energies. And as we direct those, that whole consciousness within, we're bathing our entire being in deep inner calmness, 
and this rests and soothes the nerves. And more importantly, when we commune with God, our whole being is divinely changed. Every time it's being divinely changed. And our brain power and our mental receptivity to inner guidance is expanding because we are contacting super consciousness. We're contacting us. We the soul are. We the soul is our <laughs> super consciousness. And when in that higher state of consciousness, when that state becomes dominant by our daily practice, we live and move and have our being on a very refined spiritual plane of awareness. And we reside just above the fray. Our problems aren't going to go away, but we are spiritually empowered to rise above them and to handle them constructively. And in that state of consciousness connected with our true self and our divine beloved, that enriches everything in our life. So, to the devotee who longs to be with God and who lovingly appeals to him, he gives everything. He has no secrets and every answer that you need from him will not be kept from you. He has no secrets to his beloved children. And so I, in closing, I want to share a very touching story of the master, single-hearted devotion to God when he was just a little boy of five years old. He just enrolled in school. And this story is told in different places in master's writings and also in his brother, Sananda Lal Ghosh's book entitled Mechta. And so I sort of pieced a loose telling so we could capture all the details. Guruji said, the story is called A Letter to God. Guruji said, even as a little boy, I yearned for God. I once wrote a letter to him. Yes, I really did. I was so little I could hardly write, but I thought I told him a great deal. I did not ask for anything for myself. I asked to be told something about himself. And this is Master's letter to God. To your beautiful lotus feet, my Bhagavan. And Bhagavan can be translated as my blessed Lord. How are you? <laughs> are you ill? <laughs> I talk to you every day and ask you to send me a letter. Probably you have forgotten my request. I am very hurt. <laughs> you know that many letters come to my father and my mother and eldest brother, but no one sends me a letter. Certainly you will send me a letter. Please write quickly. Don't forget about it. What else shall I write? Father and mother are well. Thus bowed Mukunda. 
Guruji said, I posted it addressed to splendid God, heaven. <laughs> Guruji said, certainly when we write to someone, we expect an answer. Every day I waited anxiously with tear-filled eyes for his answer, never doubting that it would come. What Master didn't know that the workers at the post office seeing the address on the letter had thrown it away. Impatiently, our Guru prayed in childish anger. It, is it so difficult to run the world that you cannot find time to write a few words to me? <laughs> Why are you so cruelly silent? I talked to you every day and sent you a letter, but you do not reply. When no reply came, my waiting and expecting brought floods of tears. Even though many more days passed without response, Master never ceased his one-sided argument with God. And one night he was awakened suddenly by a great light in the room. I saw the answer of God written in letters of shining gold. I could scarcely read, but the meaning came to me. He said, I am love, I am life, and I am looking after you through your father and mother. Then I understood, I felt God. Master says, if through sincerity and unconditional devotion your prayers reach God, it matters not if your sins be deeper than the ocean and higher than the Himalayas. He will destroy those karmic obstacles. For a time, perhaps, you may sink under a stratum of darkness, but still, you are a spark of an eternal flame, and you can hide the spark, but you can never destroy it. God is everything, and when you have him, you have everything. And now I'd like to invite you to just spend a few minutes chanting to our Bhagavan, and then we'll just have a few moments of meditation. your soul.
Let us fold our hands and pray together. Splendid Lord in heaven, my Bhagavan, fill my heart daily with undying devotion to thee alone. Give me the fervor known to all devotees who have ever loved and found thee. And may thy love shine forever on the sanctuary of my devotion. And may I be able to awaken thy love in all hearts. Om. Shanti, 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 peace, Amen. May God and the Great Ones bless us all. Jai Guru.